Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Rexy Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Renee. Good morning. Good morning, <laughs> Renee. How are you this morning? I am well. I'm well. I'm uh, happy, to be, happy to be alive. How are you, Lyle? I just, I'm amazing. <laughs> Uh, I am blessed. I love that. That's an God is so answer. good. Uh, yes. There is so much to be thankful for. What are you mm. thankful for this morning? Well, um, I'm very thankful for. Ooh, okay. Um. So you got some things. Okay, so I've, I can tell you what you can be thankful for this yes, morning. Yes, please. You can be thankful you are here this morning. Yes. People in circumstances similar to the one that you uh, found yourself in last night. Yes. Have died. Yeah. That's true. So you faced a life-threatening situation. So you can be thankful yeah. for that. I yes, yeah, thank yeah, definitely. Renee's, Renee's a little bit sad at the same time I, as being thankful. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I had a little car car issue last night. We'll call it that. Yeah. But I'm yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. I am grateful. So Renee and I both drive micro cars. Yes. Which are awesome because they are so cheap to run. Yes. But they're not so awesome when they come in contact with kangaroos. Yes. And that was a bit sad. Yes. Yeah. But the good news is that you are alive and well this morning, Indeed. so we can praise God for that. Yeah. 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 So you know, <laughs> there's, there's always even even in negative situations, there is always something to be thankful for. That's exactly. what I've learned. You know, all things work together for good. Yeah. And there's always a silver lining to the cloud somewhere. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. when. Uh, we saw Renee pull into the car park, and it wasn't the usual little yellow Fiat. <laughs> no. It was the big old brown Falcon instead. It's like, oh, dear. <laughs> Something happened. Something untoward <laughs> took place, and we found out that that was the case. But anyway, we can be thankful for uh, you being here with us today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So what's happening in the world of positively different news this morning? Well, there's a story about two inexperienced sailors who did who took an adventure during COVID, right? They travelled up from the Queensland coastline, basically from Sunshine Coast all the way up to Great Keppel Island. Nice. On a thirteen foot hobby cat. Oh, okay. That's quite the journey. When you, when you were describing that journey, I'm like, yes, I would love to do that. I would love to do that journey. Um, that would be absolutely amazing. There are few things in the world I enjoy more than sailing. Really? Oh, absolutely. Oh, it is okay. Just, it is just the best. Okay. You're not a seasick kind of – no? No. no you enjoy really. sailing. Oh, yeah, love yeah. sailing. Love sailing. You get seasick. Okay, so here's, here's something you might not be familiar with. Yes. Yeah. Sailing boats don't make you seasick. Oh. Motorboats make you seasick. Oh. Because it's a different kind of motion. Now, there are some people who will get seasick walking across wet grass. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> All right. But uh, a boat, a, a motorboat, they roll and toss like they're, they're just the worst okay. for getting seasick. Yes. Whereas if you put a sail on it, it stiffens the boat. In the in the water, yeah. and you your seasickness seasickness is drastically reduced. Huh. So I don't know if you would you know if a hobby cat would that kind of because I know hobby cats are very small boats. They don't even have um what do you call that deck underneath the yeah they don't they don't have it they, they don't just, have they've it. just got a, they've got what's called the trampoline. So a little hobby cat just has a trampoline between two two hulls. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Well, when yeah. I looked up at pictures, I was like, they travelled in that uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> up the coastline for about six days. 
That's that's an epic journey. I'm I'm super impressed. Um, I, I would actually I'd be up for that. I'd yeah. be up for that. Wow. It would be a rather rather heavily loaded Hobie cap because you have to carry some gear. And a 14-foot Hobie, you normally don't have more than two people on it max. Oh, okay. So your camping gear is going to equate to a third person. So it's a, it's like kind of like camping, right? It's yeah, you sail and then you stop and you camp. The and, and here's the here's the interesting thing about a Hobie cat, and this is why I believe they probably chose a Hobie cat. Yes, a Hobie cat is designed to come into shore through surf. Oh, so if you look at the photos, you'll notice that the hulls are curved quite steeply at yes. the bow. Yeah, right. That's so that you can sail them in the surf. Your average cat catamaran of that class doesn't have those curved hulls and so therefore is very dangerous and very, very hard to handle in the surf. Any catamaran is hard to handle in the surf. People who go surfing in Hobie Cats, they're a different class of sailor altogether. (laughs) Something I've never tried, something that is spectacular to watch and creates some pretty spectacular wipeouts when it goes badly. (laughs) Wow. Well, I, I mean, especially with your love for sailing, you would understand, well, Mike, his name is Mike Swain, who was kind of going through the motions of COVID with yes. all the restrictions. Now, Mike Swain is an aerial photographer. And when when COVID hit, all flights were cancelled. Yes. So Mike couldn't do what he usually wanted to do. And so he was stuck at home. And when you're stuck at home, what happens? You get stuck on YouTube and you have a whole binge session. And so he had a full binge session on a sailing and probably watching a, a lot of Hobie cats. Yeah. Probably, friend, probably. Probably. And he decided, you know what? I'm going, I want to, I still want to travel. Um, but with all these restrictions in place, I'm not going to let those restrictions stop me. I'm going to go up the coastline in a Hobie cat with my good friend. That Joel. is absolutely epic. And so, obviously, as you can imagine, they faced all kinds of danger. Um, the seas were rough. They were. It says they were primarily uh, powered primarily by the wind, with no quarters below deck. Riding a Hobie cat means feeling every wave and movement of the ocean. Yes. So this and ca- experiencing every wave splashing over you. <laughs> so when you're sailing on a Hobie cat, you're basically dragging your backside in the water. Wow, okay. Yes. And the trampoline that you're sitting on, of course, the water comes straight through it. So you really do experience every wave. This is uh, this is something for either thick wetsuits or warm water. And I would say at this time of year, they're wearing a thick wetsuit. Okay. Because I was wondering, why would they take such a small uh, – because if I go on a road trip, I want to take a nice, comfortable car that provides luxury and safety. Yes. Doesn't sound like that no. <laughs> was the case for them. They wanted an adventure. <laughs> they wanted, That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted an adventure. Um, they, when, they're not experienced sailors. Like I said, they watched YouTube videos. They decided to go on the trip. They got all the safety um, equipment that they needed. They took it seriously. Took an EPIRB and stuff like that. Exactly, like- Yes. And they put their, their plan into motion, um, t- sailing on the 17-foot Hobie Cat, which is about five metres approximately. Um, and they faced strong winds of about 30 knots, waves coming over them. Um, they said it was – Mike said it was a scary experience, um, especially when his friend Joel, who he was travelling – who was adve- on this adventure with, accidentally dropped the anchor overboard without the line attached. 
Oops. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of an issue. There is this, you know, it is kind of important to tie the anchor on without before you just throw it out over the side. That's the point of the anchor. It's like, let's anchor here. Yeah. Although I've never heard of anchoring a Hobie cat before. This would be the first time in my experience of ever hearing ah. of somebody anchoring a Hobie cat. Yeah, okay. Mm. So they were they were like after that happened they're like all right well we have a little two two horsepower motor oh okay so they fired that up and the motor went on for a while and then obviously the motor oh. stops okay so I've also <laughs> never seen a Hobie cat fitted with an outboard motor <laughs> this is, so these guys have done some uh, some some research some research they've done some groundbreaking. Um, some, some, but does yeah. it make sense for for them because they're going on this six day trip over six days to take a motor and have an anchor? Is that kind of or can you go on the trip without those two things? It would not be difficult to do that trip uh, without either of those items if you could sail the Hobie Cat in surf. Okay, because your challenge is um, finding shelter at the end of each day. Yeah. And being able to come in and set up your camp on shore. Ah. Because a Hobie Cat would be a terrible place to sleep overnight. Yes, yeah. Okay, so if you can bring it in through the surf. Now, if you, you can find a harbour or a river, river mouth or something like that, a Hobie Cat will come into you know, the tiniest creek uh-huh. um, on the coast. Uh-huh. But if, you know, if you're up along Rainbow Beach somewhere mm-hmm. and you've got like another five hours of sailing before you find any kind of sheltered water, yeah. then you're going to have to bring it in through the surf. Huh. And that's going to take a level of skill that I don't have. <laughs> well, they definitely learnt. <laughs> learnt I love hearing the about these kind of adventures. <laughs> I think that God invented us. God created us to go out and have adventures and just to enjoy life. So it's just really good to hear about these kind of things. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, on more serious news, we do have a fair, fairly heavy, heavy stories here this morning. So uh, anyway, uh, Western Australia is looks like uh, it's going to be bringing in a ban on prayer in certain places. We did mention this earlier on. Uh, this is in relationship to abortion clinics. And so what they, the, the current legislation will ban anyone from participating in silent prayer anywhere in the vicinity of an abortion clinic. Okay, so um, there have been re- repeated claims, of course. You know, there's, 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 there's been put forward that we need to have this legislation because the abortion clinics have been repeatedly claiming over the last 30 years that there are demonstrators standing out the front that obstruct entry, they harass uh, the uh, people that are coming in, they intimidate them and so forth. Mm. Now, despite the fact that they make these claims and repeatedly make these claims... Abortion clinics also have very good security with very good security cameras and it's already illegal to participate in any of those activities and they have never, ever prosecuted anyone. Hmm. And you know that they are just itching to lay their hands on someone, Mm -hmm. but they've never prosecuted anyone because no Christian has ever done that. Hmm. No Christian has ever obstructed entry, harassed or intimidated anyone outside of an abortion clinic. And so now they want to ban people from having a prayer vigil outside or in the vicinity of an abortion clinic. Uh, so this is called the Public Health Amendment Bill 2020. And uh, you've sort of got to ask yourself the question that is, you know, where, where really is the coercion here? 
you know, because they're like, well, we need to have this bill, we need to have this legislation because uh, people are being intimidated and harassed and uh, obstructed from entering the clinic. Well, actually, that's never happened. So why do you need the legislation? What are you actually legislating against? Well, you're legislating against prayer and uh, you are legislating against, well, you know, what we've got to understand is where the real coercion comes in when it comes to abortion. And the real coercion, and they've received more than 500 submissions on this, comes from family members, close relatives, partners, coercing women to have an abortion against their will. And nothing is being done about that. There is no concern whatsoever at all that there are, and it often comes from the male partner. You know, suddenly there's an unwanted pregnancy and so what does the male partner do? Well, you've got to go and have an abortion. Mm. And when the male partner, you know, and this is where this is where I find it, it just, it is absolutely reprehensible that any person would do this, but particularly a male partner who uh, uses, you know, this kind of abortion or, or, or sorry, uh, uh, pressure to try and force somebody into this because... The depression rate for abortion mothers is almost 100%. Mm. It's horrific what people go through. And somehow the secular world thinks that, okay, if we can stop people from praying outside of abortion clinics, then when these people are coerced by their partners, they won't feel guilty because they won't see people praying and seeing people praying makes people feel guilty and makes them feel anxiety. Well, the simple reality is people are going to feel guilty. There is a thing called morality and we are all born with it. Now, I understand that if you believe in an evolutionary process, there is no such thing as morality and guilt therefore should never exist. Okay, if guilt should never exist, then why are you going to be worried about people praying to, you know, standing outside on the street and talking to an imaginary person? Why does that bother yeah. you? It shouldn't matter. That yeah, shouldn't that matter logic. at all. Yeah. But you cannot, the, the human being cannot escape guilt because we, are, have, we have been born with morality. And now I know, once again, this story is going to cut close, very close to home, to a lot of people who have found themselves in impossible and tragic circumstances, and I understand that. And if it's something that, it, that makes you feel bad, the uh, number to call Lifeline is 131114. I don't want to be lacking in compassion with telling this story, but I do think that there is an issue of religious liberty here, Uh, stopping people from praying, but there's a bigger issue even than religious liberty, and that is the mental health and welfare of mothers, particularly those that are being coerced into uh, having abortions. Coercion into abortion, anybody who suggests, who even suggests you should get an abortion, that's a form of domestic violence because that is putting pressure on somebody to take the life of another human being. That's domestic violence, and that's where the law should be. That's where the coercion is because that's inciting them to, you know. And that causes emotional pain. So much emotional pain. So much emotional pain and and, and scars that last for a lifetime. Yeah. They never go away. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to hold back and not say a few things right now because I know that there are so many people who have spent their lifetime grieving over this, and I want to be super sensitive to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what is the issue that these abortion clinics have? Well, uh, prayer vigils have often saved mothers from a life of trauma. 
So people praying outside and mothers have been walking down the street and they've gone up and talked to them and been provided with the support that they need and, and thus have been saved from a life of trauma. And a lot of times, a lot of young babies as a result have been saved from having their life taken. Um, and so this is this is what they're worried about. Anyway, uh, on the same subject, moving to South Australia, of course, the 28th of October is when they will debate the abortion to birth legislation, which means that if you can ensure that the baby is, its life is taken before uh, it comes out of the womb. So if you can hold it back into the womb and still take its life, then uh, that's legal. Oh. Then if the baby is born alive, you can't take its life but you can refuse it any form of medical treatment. And that's going to be legal. It's going to be legal. This is a, this is a world that we live in right now. It's just it, it must, makes me feel sick in my stomach to even talk about it. That's going to be debated in South Australia on the 28th of October. I don't even know what to say about it. Um, anyway, this is an interesting story from uh, the United States. We'll go over to Florida. And it's some pretty heavy stories uh, where a teacher has been fired uh, a gay teacher has been fired um, and from a school mm-hmm. uh, because the school is a Christian school. So the, the background behind it is that schools in Australia or America, places like that, are allowed to have discriminate, what's called discriminatory hiring. In other words, you can preference people of your own faith over somebody who is not of your own faith mm-hmm. and you can require that, that, that your, your teaching staff does not advocate against your faith. Uh, so, for instance, if there was a particular church that I believed was, you know, the Antichrist, mm-hmm. I'm like, this church is the Antichrist, and I believed it was the Antichrist, and I got a job teaching in that school, and then in my spare time I was saying, okay, I'm working for the Antichrist, mm-hmm. then uh, they could fire me for that. And I think that's absolutely reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so this particular individual has been fired for advocating for um, for gay marriage, for um, for adopting children, for gay couples adopting children, and so forth, and the school has said, "Well, you know, we have the statement of belief that uh, says that sexual intimacy should only take place between a married man and a woman, mm-hmm. and so you're advocating against the beliefs of our school, and so therefore you can't teach here anymore." Mm-hmm. And so this is going to work its way through the court system. Of course, he has uh, um, sued for discrimination. Yep. It's kind of one of those watch this space kind of stories to see what happens there as mm-hmm. far as, you know, this is an issue once again of religious liberty. Regardless of how you feel about the actual issues themselves, can a person, can a church or a religious organisation uh, do this kind of thing? You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, joining us on the phone this morning for a monthly update is Etienne McClintock from Voice of the Martyrs. Etienne, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle. Thank you for having me on the show again. Etienne, what is happening around our world at, at right now as far as uh, the work of Voice of the Martyrs go? What are we going to highlight this month? Well, look, there's a, a lot of stories coming up out of Pakistan at the moment. There's stories coming out of the US. There's so much happening. And, uh, you know, we've been blessed this uh, this year so far that in spite of COVID, the people have been very generous and they've been supporting us and uh, our work has actually been able to grow. But as we grow, there's always greater needs. But uh, there's some stories coming out of Pakistan at the moment. There's a guy just in the last week or so that uh, was actually acquitted for blasphemy. He'd been in prison for, uh, for six years 
and they said that he blasphemed the Islamic prophet Muhammad. And then the Lahore court acquitted. Uh, his name is Sawan Masa. Now, he had, uh, had been uh, in a business transaction with a friend of his. He's a father of three. And then his uh, business associate said that he actually had, um, had uh, blasphemed. And then what happens? He told the people at the mosque. And then over the PA system in the mosque, I don't know if you've been to an Islamic country, but they have prayers five days a week and it gets broadcast through that whole community through the PA system, loudspeaker system that they have. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they actually broadcast this over the PA system, a mob of more than 3,000 Muslims started looting and burning Christian homes. 180 Christian homes were actually burnt at that time six years ago. 75 shops were ransacked. Two churches uh, were burnt as well. And then amid all this violence, of course, a lot of Christian families were forced to flee. And Masses denied the charges at that time. He was a Christian. Uh, he, was just, he was a Christian. He's a Christian. He, he was a Christian, so he converted. Uh-huh. Yes. And then um, Masa was then handed over to the police. A lot of it basically for his safety, but they, they found him. He was handed over and then charged under Section 295C of the Pakistan Penal Code. And then he was subsequently sentenced to death under that section by the judge. And... Uh, he said he must be hanged and fined. So not only would he lose his life, but he would also be fined. And uh, what happens is the Lahore court decided that the prosecution had failed to establish that Masa had committed blasphemy and they actually acquitted him. Now, the family are being threatened and they've had to go into hiding. But uh, that's just one of many stories. There's another one, for example, that's come out of Pakistan. This is uh, a story of a guy called Asif uh, Pervais. Now, um, and his four children had to flee for their safety, or see, her husband had to flee for their safety when Asif was sentenced to death for blasphemy. Now, Asif is about 37 years old. He's already spent seven years in jail for blasphemy case. And on the 8th of September, they actually found him guilty. And uh, the case against him was brought after uh, the Christian refused to take part in Muslim prayers at his factory or even to convert to Islam. So imagine you going to your workplace and uh, you're there as a Christian and they uh, practice a different religion at the factory. So most of the factory workers are Muslim. And you say, look, sorry, no, it's not my religion. I won't do it. Just in you refusing to participate in the prayers or to convert to Islam is considered blasphemy by them. Now, Asif had lost his phone up to that time. He believes it was stolen by someone. And then a blasphemous text was sent to his supervisor on this phone. And Asif's view is that the text was actually sent by the person who accused him, to incriminate him. And so uh, since this uh, case uh, 70 years ago, he, there were people who have been also uh, protesting and asking that he be released, just like they do with Asia Bibi. Matter of fact, if you go on the internet, if you look for Asia Bibi and him quite often, you'll see that Asif Pervais is another person at the same time that they were actually asking the government to release because they believe he's innocent. Mm. Um but they just say there's so much risk now for Christians in that country. So we, through our partner, Release International in the UK, uh, we have different names with different uh, organizations around the world. So Release International in the UK is just Voice of the Martyrs, basically, in the UK. And we're currently assisting Asif and his family. So that's what's happening in Pakistan. There's so many stories from different parts of the world. There's stories from Laos. And if people want to read that, I suggest they just go to our website, or which is vom.com.au. Or they can download our um, our bomb app, Voice of the Martyrs Australia app, and they'll get these updates on a regular basis. But so, there's a story that's 
Sorry. Yeah, just a couple of quick questions before you move on there, Etienne. Um, you talk about uh, the first individual there was imprisoned for six years before being acquitted, the second one uh, for seven years before being found guilty. Found guilty, yes, um, just in September. Now, two questions in relationship to that. Why does it take so long for these court cases to work through? Is that because there's a whole bunch of appeal processes that are happening or is this kind of how long it takes for it to work through the system for them to get a hearing? That's the first question. The second question is, now that he's been found guilty, uh, does that mean he has an execution date? No, the execution date for him hasn't been set. Just to answer the second question first, uh, that takes a, a bit of time as well because we know with Asia Bibi, for example, she was on death row for a number of years. Um, I forgot exactly how many years. Was it eight years or so she was on death row? And so there's a whole process to go through. And you also have the opportunity based on the Pakistani law um, that they can actually appeal the sentence. And that takes a bit of time as well. But there are delays. I can't explain the delays for you other than they're, um, they're just happy for the Christians to sit in prison while they take their time to, to get the case to court, actually. Mm. So it's very difficult for Christians there. I mean, the judicial system in themselves is fine. The only problem is that this um, blasphemy law is actually a remnant of uh, British rule uh, to, to keep the, the classes, the different religions separate. Uh, this is what the, the British introduced there to stop people from speaking out against each other's religion publicly. There was no there was no death sentence on it. It was just a bashing law. But subsequent to the British obviously withdrawing and the independence of Pakistan, uh, they've added a death sentence to it now, and this is the real challenge. So the the, the law system within Pakistan itself is quite robust. And uh, based on the acquittals that we've seen previously, it's very difficult when public sentiment is so against what the law says and what the judicial system actually finds uh, when people riot and other people have to flee for their for their safety. Mm. But the problem is actually that there is on their statute book a blasphemy law which has the death penalty. And, of course, that makes it very difficult because the, uh, the judicial system just has to enforce the law. Luckily, a lot of these uh, cases are actually uh, made up, they're fabricated, and then uh, if the judicial system works properly, they can be um, found innocent. But sometimes, you know, when someone has a phone and someone else has sent a text and uh, they're saying, oh, he's lying about the fact that he lost his phone, uh, that is evidence that's hard to contradict now. It's my word against yours, and uh, that's how they ended up finding him guilty. Mm, yeah, tragic stuff. Mm. Uh, you were going to go to another part of the world. Yeah, I actually want to go to a free country, uh, the U.S., at the moment, there's so many challenges in the U.S., but uh, we have one of our people we've been supporting for a while. His name is Bob Fu. Now, Bob Fu actually runs an organization called China Aid Association. Uh, Bob Fu is an interesting guy. He was actually one of the uh, student leaders during the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre. He himself couldn't believe that his own country would actually turn against their own citizens and kill them because hundreds were killed during that massacre. Of course, a lot of it was buried. And if you go into China nowadays and ask them about that massacre, no one seems to know about it. The only time they know about it is when foreigners come in and ask about it. And I remember being there on a tour uh, quite a few years ago, about 13 years ago now. And uh, our our tour guide on the bus was just saying, oh, yes, they've heard about it. But the only thing they've heard about it is what the foreigners have inquired and told them. So anyway, he was uh, one of these guys. He uh, finally ended up working for the uh, Chinese Communist Party. He was as an English teacher teaching uh, all the uh, the Chinese officials English in Beijing. 
But then what happened is him and his wife uh, were also running a church at the same time, a house church uh, that was found illegal. They were actually then arrested and thrown into prison for two months. Subsequent to that, his wife also became pregnant. Uh, she didn't have a pink slip. Now, in those days, for you to get pregnant, you needed permission from the government first. And if you are pregnant without this pink slip, uh, you'll have a forced abortion. And that's how it works. Anyway, he's just in the last uh, few weeks received death threats in the U.S. from a guy by the name of Miles Kwok or Gyu Wingju. Uh, he's been living in exile in the uh, United States in New York in a uh, apartment that is worth about $50, $60 million plus, a very wealthy businessman out of China. Now, he fled uh, China uh, under corruption charges, but he set up a what they call GRV Media. And this is supposed to now expose corruption within the Chinese government. And it's quite interesting that he stated as a whistleblower is now being under scrutiny as being investigated and also fraud is being investigated against him. So they're wondering if he's actually acting like he's against the Chinese government, but in a sense, he's actually an agent for them. Because what happened is all of a sudden on his uh, website, on his um, Twitter account, he started putting out threats against people like Bob Fu, who has been speaking out against the uh, the CCP, the Chinese government. Bob Fu works uh, to relieve uh, pressure on people who are suffering persecution in China because of their faith, especially Christians. And they've actually got a special uh, system where they have had up to 100 people been taken out of China for their own safety because they are being severely persecuted there and their lives were at risk. So all of a sudden, uh, he's away at a prayer uh, conference in Washington. His wife rings him up and said these protesters have arrived outside our house uh, holding up placards and saying that you're a fake pastor and that you work for the CCP as an agent. And uh, anyway, so he, he went back home and then there was a day or two later, a whole busload of people show up and uh, then he discovers that uh, accusations have been made against him. They're calling him a fake priest. They're holding up all these placards. These placards, things... Uh, it's interesting. These people are all uh, of Chinese descent. They bust in, and when they are uh, in, interviewed by the press there, they actually don't <laughs> say where they're from. They deny the fact that they're part of an organized group. But if you all arrived there on a bus, someone must have organized it. Yeah, clearly. Now, the thing is, they they act like they are pro-America. They've got the American flags that they're waving around. They've got placards that say, stop killing. The CCP virus kills humanity. Uh, they say CCP, uh, doc, Dr. Bob Fu is a, is a fake pastor. Uh, he's the CCP's running dog. And then they say CCP lied to Americans. So they're actually getting the sympathy of the local people. Because yeah, uh, I guess a lot of people will be like, well, what's CCP? And, and you know, you've al already thrown mud and some of it has already stuck and people don't even know what it is. But it's like if uh, patriotic Americans are turning up and protesting against it, then there must be something wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got things like CCP in Chinese. So CCP is Chinese Communist Party, obviously. But they're acting like they're for America and against this guy. And they've been handing out pamphlets and leaflets accusing him of many things. Everybody that drove past, you know, if they slow down during the protest, because there's a lot of people around on the side of the road, and sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll hand over these uh, these pamphlets, put it in letterboxes. And so what happens is for his safety, he was actually taken... Him and his family were taken away. They're now actually in hiding because they've checked out the accusations. They're real. But the thing that stands out to me is how these people seem to be pro 
America in their protest, but they're actually agents of China. And Bob, yeah, who's sorry, very yeah, because I, 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 I mixed that up there a moment ago um, when I was talking about CCP, but I was actually meaning to talk about. Um, Bob Fu's organization. But yeah, in, in, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so he's actually working for Christians, but they found a cunning way now to act like they're on the side of the US and democracy with the American flags and everything. And now to accuse someone who's doing a excellent work for uh, for persecuted Christians in China, and he's now had to go in hiding. Now, it's interesting. We've got a uh, prayer meeting that we run every Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, and uh, Dr. Bob Fu will be our special guest. Um from that, that meeting. Uh, if he can't be there in person, um, we'll have a, a video recording that will run for about 15 or 20 minutes just explaining the current situation. And if people are interested in attending that, they're welcome to do that and just go to our website and just hit the register button. As soon as you go to vom.com.au, you can register for this. But Bob, who's got a book written called um, God's Double Agent? I was going to see if we could do a giveaway on that today, Lyle, but unfortunately we only have two left because they've become very popular all of, all of a sudden. Uh, but I do have another book that oh, we can give away to your first callers like we did last time. It's called Hearts of Fire. It's a story of eight persecuted women around the world who are telling their own story, including Sabina Wurmbrandt, who's Richard Wurmbrandt's wife. She tells a story from her perspective. It's quite a hard-hitting book. Uh, but if your listeners are interested, like, we can make five of these available if they uh, want to call you like we did last time. Okay, so that is Hearts of Fire, eight women from around the world, their experiences of persecution, and going through to the first five callers right now. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, how much time have we got left, Lyle? Uh, we are out of time. Okay. <laughs> so I do appreciate that very much. But uh, before you go, I just want to mention once again, go to uh, vom.com.au, uh, hit register there to join the prayer meeting. That was on uh, Tuesday night, was it? Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. We actually have a Tuesday 7, uh, 10 a.m. meeting as well. Uh, people can join either of those. You'll see there's a monthly meeting, which is the morning meeting, and then we have a weekly 7 p.m. meeting. They just go to join, and they can they can register there as well. Okay, so go to vom.com, and you'll be able to uh, find out all of those details there. Voice of the Martyrs. Etty McClintock, thank you so much for joining us once again this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.